Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock write-up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. Now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. Alrighty, we are back. Andrew Kuhn, Focused Compounding, holding my new Focused Compounding mug, wearing my new Focused Compounding shirt. I gave Jeff so much flack last time when he only bought his own or uh, a mug for himself yep. that I showed up to our morning meeting today and I got a new hat, I got a new coffee cup, yep. and I got a new shirt. Yes. So true. expect a lot more complaining from me going forward. <laughs> Hope everyone's having a great day. Jeff Gannon, Focus Count Pounty, thank you so much for tuning in with us here today. Hey, if you're in the New York area, we are going to be there the week of September 16th. Um, Monday to Thursday, um, Monday to Friday, something like that. And if uh, you would like to meet up with Sir Jeff and myself for some coffee uh, or some food or something like that, a little walk in Central Park, <laughs> reach out to me, info at focuscompounding.com. If you're not following me on Twitter, definitely do that at Focus Compound. And that is obviously uh, where we pump out all of our content. Um, but in today's video, we are going to be talking about how to value and insure. Okay. And you obviously have experience uh, doing that. You wrote about Progressive yes. and a few other companies in the insurance business. You mm -hmm. are familiar uh, with that. So um, maybe the first step to before going uh, you know, and talking about how to actually value it, maybe we should talk about why you like the insurance business in general. Sure. So it's similar to banks. Uh, most insurers I don't like, just like I don't like most banks. Um, there are a few that develop into good businesses and make amazing money. Uh, but in general, the industry doesn't perform well, and you should avoid owning a basket of insurers. Mm -hmm. But if you find the right one with the right person running it, right business model, then um, you can make money in that faster over a long period of time. You can compound it at incredible rates um, compared to other sorts of businesses. Because obviously there's not tangible capital involved in it and things like that. You're, you know... Um, Float involved and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very similar to banking that way. A very mm -hmm. successful bank and a very successful insurer are similar that way. But... Like I said, the average insurer, the average bank, you want to avoid them both. But the exceptional business, you can find them. And and, and obviously, insurance is a big way in which Berkshire has grown the White House. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is there a, a specific type of insurance company that you like to see the type of underwriting that they're doing? Do you have like a preference in that regard? Um, well, I think the very best auto insurers are good. So you can't invest in Geico because that's Berkshire, but Progressive you can. Um, there are other auto insurers, small ones around the country that you can find. Some of them uh, focus on um, non-standard, which is high-risk forms of auto insurance and things like that. Um, there's one an, uh, a uh, that doesn't file with the SEC but operates mostly in Texas and some other places, which just writes um, uh, the minimum coverage required by the state. So um, because it, usually there's going to be a requirement that you have to have insurance. So you can write one policy for every driver out there, even drivers who don't want a policy because the law requires them to have it. And so um, some people will avoid those kinds of drivers. So things like that. Um, there's lots of commercial sorts of insurance that can be attractive too. I invested in a company um, a long time ago called Bank Insurance, and that's more what they did. So part of their business was just insuring the collateral uh, cars as collateral for um, the lender. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So the lender was afraid of the risk that if they made a car loan, that they wouldn't be able to get back the car because something would happen to it. 
Um, so everything from skip risk, the person would take into another state or something, to risk of like it would be um, destroyed uh, in an accident where there wasn't insurance to cover it, or it can be things like you know hail and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. obviously is an issue for uh, car insurance stuff too. Um, and the other side of it, like um, what I avoid usually would be something like a life insurer. Really, why is that? It's usually too easy to write. Mm-hmm. So um, it's too easy for people to calculate what the rates should be. So it becomes just a pure commodity that way. You know, there was a, um, an investment company. I've ran into a lot of people in the Dallas area mm-hmm. who, I forget, they, I, pro- I believe they're actually a public company, but they were doing like life settlement cases and stuff like that. Okay, Are you yeah. familiar with that? Where you yeah. buy a life insurance policy on somebody mm-hmm. else. And I think people were living too long. So like, yeah. I've met a lot of people who are still paying um, like the premiums, right. because the individual that they bought the life insurance policy on, like, is yes. alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a wacky business model. Yeah, I mean, think about wanting somebody to die. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's just a weird. But yeah. and a lot of them uh, turn out to be frauds, and a lot of people were affected by that in the Dallas area. So I've okay. met, I have a ton of horror stories. Yeah, I have looked at some companies that do some stuff related to that. Um, a lot of them were pretty new, uh, going public and stuff like that, and you know, so you don't know about. We're gonna get the life settlement. Um, <laughs> crowd come in and start roasting <laughs> well, me but it yeah. can be hard to know what the what their actual experience will be in terms of when there'll be losses and things yeah. like that yeah yeah weird yeah. anyways um what do you like to see in an insurance company then so you like auto insurance uh you don't like life insurance companies but i guess i also don't like most auto insurance companies i just like the leading ones really? which are like geico or progressive or ones that have a certain niche which is usually non-standard uh-huh. yeah and, and and one of the most important you've written about this before um you know like a metric you like when evaluating or evaluating uh, insurance companies like customer retention and stuff like yep. that. Yep, customer retention is very important. So the one that everyone uses is combined ratio. So combined ratio is a combination of your expense ratio and your um, loss ratio. So okay, so what does that mean? Okay, dumb it down. So your loss ratio will be your experience of the actual amount that you'll have to pay out in claims and things uh, tied to that too. The actual expenses directly uh, related to having to pay out those claims. Um, so for example, I mentioned the uh, a good example would be like I mentioned progressive and I mentioned bank insurance. Bank insurance would have a much lower loss ratio than um, progressive, but bank insurance would have a much higher expense ratio than progressive. Uh, auto insurers generally have high, um, uh, have low expense ratios and very high uh, loss ratios. Uh-huh. So their premiums are closer to the actual amount they expect to pay out. Uh, whereas in, um, some insurance that's being written in certain niches for businesses and stuff might have very low uh, loss ratios, but it's expensive to write the policies because there might not be a lot of them and things like that. Some of them are going through brokers to avoid that, but then they're paying them. So, you know, there's all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then how would you think about, I guess, valuing a, um, an insurance company then? Right. So the first thing is figuring out the combined ratio. Mm-hmm. And then the other side is figuring out how much you think you can make on the investment side. Uh, so a company like with the float, like what yeah, with doing? the float, exactly. So Progressive is a good example comparing it to Geico. So um, Progressive uh, earns very, very little on their float because Progressive years ago made a decision to really limit their investment risk. So Progressive is, takes less risk on the investment side than Geico does, but Geico has been able to invest their flow to make more money from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have companies that take certain risks that way. Like I mentioned that there was a company um, in Texas that makes uh, that does auto insurance stuff. They're, um, they like to own basically junk bonds. 
So it's junk bonds that are like close to investment grade, but junk bonds. And uh, that has a certain amount of risk to it compared to like progressive owning short term government bonds, a mm-hmm. lot of it. So it depends on what they're, uh, you know, so they can make more money that way. So the um, their float, th- that company can write a combined ratio of 100 and still make money. Because let's say, I'm assuming that their float is two times, let's say, their um, capital and the, the, the actual equity, I should say the shareholder's equity. Well, if you can make 6% in junk bonds, then you can make 12% for every dollar of equity that you were using. So you can get a decent return even if your combined ratio was 100. Now, of course, they try to get the combined ratio to be so they make a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, progressive, meanwhile, let's say they are aiming for a combined ratio of uh, 96, let's say. Um, if that's true, then they make 4% on every premium that they wrote. Um, that if their premiums are, say, three times uh, the amount of equity they have in the business, then you can make 12% just on the premiums without making anything from the investment side. But as you can see, if you miscalculate and your combined ratio goes over 100, which means you're now losing money on underwriting, Progressive will have really big losses compared to their equity because they're writing so many premiums compared to their book value. So it's leverage. Mm-hmm. So there's underwriting leverage, and then there's like investment leverage. So those are the ways of thinking about it. You know, it's, have you ever read um, Warren Buffett's old um, column he took out in a newspaper, The Stock I Like Best, when he wrote about oh, Geico? Oh, about Geico, yeah. And he bought it at, like, what, 10 or 12 times earnings or maybe yeah. 15 times mm-hmm. earnings. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, that was a very interesting one. And and uh, that's the kind of thing that you can get insurance sometimes because the difference between a really good insurer and uh, your typical insurer is going to be big, and yet people tend to price them in terms of price to book or price to earnings very similar to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I mentioned the bank insurance thing. The bank insurance thing, the company was going to go private, and I wrote some letters complaining about the price and all that. They wanted to go private at like uh, – I shouldn't uh, – they want to go private at like 0.5, 0.6 times book value or something yeah. like that. I thought they were worth at least one times book value. Um, they had, I think their average combined ratio was 92 or 93 for like the last well, 30 years or mm-hmm. something. And then they invest in municipal bonds and didn't make a lot or, uh, off of that. But there's a, um, but you, if you did that, and even they didn't write a lot of premiums compared to their book value or anything, but if you do that um, w- with just having a 7 or 8% that you get pre-tax on your um, uh, underwriting right away, then obviously you're earning 10 or more percent. So in terms of price to book, some people say like an insurer should trade at book, it should trade less than book, things like that. Um, those are all wrong. Uh, the reason for it to trade at a higher, lower value relative to book value is the return that it can get on book value. So progressive should trade at a huge premium to book value because it can generate huge returns on equity. But your average life insurer, even a very big one, should trade a discount to book value because it's going to retain a lot of earnings and earn worse returns on its investments compared to what you'll earn yourself, right? Because mm-hmm. um, basically you're having a situation where if they write a combined ratio of 100 or more, they're paying something to get the money. And then they're investing in like long-term corporate bonds or something where you could be taking your own money and buying um, stocks or something. You mm-hmm. could do better than them. Sure. So it should have a discount to book value, just like a closed-end fund that has high expense ratios or something should have a discount to book value because it'll always trail the market. And theoretically, your average life insurer is going to compound at its book value way worse than the market. So it should trade significantly less um, than book value. But then ones that have high returns on equity, like yeah. progressive or something, should trade at very high uh, premiums to book value. And some that some people don't like that idea, and they complain about it, value investors that you know at paying any sort of premium. But if you have a big advantage that way, then you should. And I feel that way. Just same with banks. I think some community banks should trade at discounts to price to book. But some of the biggest banks in America with the best deposit bases and stuff should trade at huge premiums. You know, Wells Fargo should trade a huge premium. Same mm-hmm. thing with Progressive. It should trade a big premium. What do you think Buffett liked about Lou Simpson, who is the CIO? of Geico. Oh, well, I think he invested mainly the same way that Buffett would, mm-hmm. which is to buy higher quality companies sure. for the longer term. 
uh-huh. and not too many of them. He actually just got out of the investment business. Did you yeah. see that? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he had like an all right, like an investment firm mm-hmm. or whatever, and he he liquidated it. But how would you go about? I guess man, so from looking at these companies when you are evaluating the CIO or whoever's I guess right. managing the float. Would you like it to be more in like municipal securities where I guess it's it's well I could predict sort of that way yeah I mean they had interest rate risk but that was it um uh, it depends there's very few companies that have a culture that's very specific to them that I would have faith in their investment process yeah so in general I would want them to invest in pretty safe things um, it's also an issue depending on the amount of underwriting risk you're taking and the amount of investing risk you're taking if your underwriting risk is very low then it would be okay to have a lot in stocks and stuff like that but if your underwriting risk is um, if you're writing a lot of um, premiums versus the amount of surplus capital that you have, basically, um, then it's dangerous to have a lot of investment risk, too, because of the chance that those two could coincide in the same bad year. Mm-hmm. So, like, even progressive Geico companies like that, around 2000, they had a very bad year because of competitors. So, competitors just price policies at a very inappropriate level, right? And so, even though the competitors lost even more money than they did, that causes them to have, like, no profit in underwriting. If that happens at the same time that you have, like, huge declines in stock prices or something, then your equity is really in trouble, you know? Mm-hmm. And I should point out, everyone can look for an AM best rating for insurers because um, unlike other sorts of businesses where you would just have a bond rating or something, uh, that you have ratings in terms of how protected the policyholders are. Mm-hmm. And I would suggest on average you want to look for an A minus. Um, if you see less than an A minus, then you want to start paying attention to why is it less than A minus. Really? Um, yeah, I think insurers when dealing with each other, like in terms of reinsurance and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and, and and things like that, would probably my guess is they'd like to see. A-. Have you ever analyzed a reinsurer? Yes. What are your, what are your thoughts on that business? I don't think it's been a good business for a really long time. Yeah. So I think there's just too much capacity. Sure. What are yeah. your thoughts on? So we I know you um, wrote up Farmer Mac for the website. Yes. How would you value those types of companies similar to you would value like a progressive? Yeah. No, no, exactly the same. We yeah. talked about that. Uh-huh. PharmaMac uh, issues bonds, and there's a spread between their bonds and uh, U.S. government bonds, basically. Yeah. And so the question is whether that their cost of capital is low enough that they can always make money off of, um, uh, in their case, it's farm and ranch mortgages, largely. There's some other stuff they do, too. But um, so I just think that they have a lower cost of capital because they're a, a huge government-sponsored enterprise, basically. And um, it's very similar to uh, Fannie and Freddie, that mm-hmm. one. Yeah. And so I think that they have a low cost of capital and they can invest in things that way. It's the same with banks and and, and, uh, insurers. If you think about it, I'm not talking that much about how good the lending that the bank does Mm -hmm. in that podcast. I'm not talking now about how good the investment side of the insurer is. It's important and it's useful if you do a good job. Mm -hmm. Uh, Berkshire's had great success that way. And there are a couple, just a couple other companies that have had great success that way too. But the key thing is a consistently low cost of capital, Mm -hmm. which for an insurer basically is a low combined ratio. And with also the amount of... uh, the length of time in terms of the float that you generate. So the reason why you'd have a lot of float is because it's taking a long time for you to pay out versus when you collected the premiums. Sure. But the problem is everyone knows that. So in general, when you find companies that generate a ton of float versus um, uh, premiums and things like that, what's happening is their combined ratio isn't that good. There are exceptions to that, and uh, some businesses are very smart about that, Berkshire was, where sometimes they'll write a lot and then in other years when it's bad, they won't write it, and, and then they can have success there cyclically. But uh, yeah, so in general, I'd say that the businesses that have the highest combined ratio usually don't get a ton of float mm-hmm. because things resolve themselves pretty quickly. Um, like, uh, let's say auto insurance stuff, your 
uh, repricing the policy every six months. And then you're also resolving most of the claims within two years, basically. It's the first year or the second year that's do mostly resolved. Do you think Buffett, when he first bought Geico, he was actually interested in the insurance part of the business? Or do you think it was more so because Ben Graham was on the board and, and invested in the company? I think he was really excited by the insurance part. Really? I think the idea of it really excited him in terms uh-huh. of what float is. And I also think the idea of direct selling sure. really excited yeah, and him. And that was like a new model at yeah. the time, right? And it's a much better model, yeah. So, I mean, I talked about that a little in the progressive uh, report that I did, but just so people know, um, in terms of market share, market share is broken up by a lot of different companies in like uh, car insurance in the US. But the reality is that three companies have a big advantage over the others, which are USAA, which is limited to only people who have a connection to their families connected to the military, basically, Um, progressive and Geico. Those three have a big advantage, and they have a big advantage in getting new policies uh, for totally new people Mm -hmm. like this year. So, people who have their car for the first time need insurance for the first time. The odds that they'll go with one of those three are really high. Sure, but I went with Geico. Yeah, yeah. but people who go with um, Allstate or State Farm or whatever, once they're with them, there's a very high chance they'll keep renewing with them. So you know that that's part of the business. Mm-hmm. It has to do with that. And we talked a little bit about that, I think, in previous pod, previous podcast, which is um, I think Progressive is better underwriter than Geico, but Geico has certain things about it in terms of having lower expenses, and part of that is the. Um, Policyholders they have, I think, are more likely to stay with them. So, how do you determine that then? That uh, Progressive is a better underwriter than Geico. Oh well, a few things. One, talking to people in the industry. So when we talk, so Progressive sells through um, independent agents. They're not their own agents, so they can sell with they can sell any other uh, insurer too. Um, and they felt strongly that uh, Progressive. They felt strongly. Actually, this is what they felt. They felt strongly they could predict the future of. Uh, policy um, pricing yeah. by seeing what Progressive is doing. What they told us over and over again is what Progressive is doing now is what everyone will be doing in six months. Mm-hmm. So they would say that if you're seeing rate, Progressive raising their rates, um, then that means everyone's going to have to start raising their rates, but they'll be slower to do it. Um, and I also think Progressive has a lot of information compared to certain uh, other insurers. Uh, they have more experience experience on some of that stuff, which is important. So in real niche things, it's very important. That's a lot of insurers don't have experience writing that kind of business, and so they don't have a realistic idea of what the losses will be and stuff like that. Uh, Progressive, we talked about, has a lower retention rate. So if you think logically about that, if Progressive has a lower retention rate than others, then it's writing more policies for the first time than others were. It's had more experience writing more policies for certain high-risk drivers, I Mm -hmm. think, than others have, and for certain different kinds of drivers. When you actually compare how many new policies, I think, that some other have written and how many of them were actually higher risk policies, which I think are the more interesting ones from a loss experience perspective, um, then I think that Progressive has an advantage that way. Also, Progressive had direct and through agents, and I think that has a potential advantage too in terms of understanding the industry. What are your thoughts on um, Tesla starting to to do insurance? Have you heard about that? (laughs) No. No? (laughs) I mean, um, it it depends. So... uh, Buffett was pretty polite about it, I think, saying that there's a reason why. I mean, it's a very tough business. I think, and in, in from listening mm-hmm. to... Um, well, I mean, there's a very obvious reason why Tesla shouldn't be writing insurance policies. Why is that? Well, who would trust Tesla to pay the policy? <laughs> yeah, sure. Now, I mean, they can write in and turn around immediately and seed the business. So uh-huh, that's what sure. you can do. So yeah. you can seed it to a reinsurer immediately. Uh-huh. So if it helps you sell your car, then yeah. I mean, lots of people do that uh, in all sorts of businesses where they have no intention of taking on the risk themselves. Banks do it all the time. They want you, They know that if you have a mortgage with that bank, you're more likely to stick with that bank. They have no intention of ever keeping your mortgage, but they'll make you the mortgage loan, and then they'll immediately get rid of it. 
Okay, that's just to keep you with them. Sure. Progressive, which I mentioned, gives renters insurance to people or yeah. homeowners insurance. Uh-huh. Um, it bundles it. Uh, but Progressive has nothing to do with that. They use another company, uh, or multiple companies maybe in different states, but but they use another company to um, actually take that risk. They're not taking any of that risk, uh, but they're doing it because they know that bundled together, you're more likely to stick with them, and that's an issue that they have, that their retention rate's lower than others. So if it helps sell Teslas, then you know that makes sense. Sure. But would I trust Tesla to um, pay out? No, I mean that the capital position that they have, but that's not even just specific to Tesla. Yeah, sure. GM shouldn't be writing auto insurance because mm-hmm. their their balance sheet, generally over time, I would say, is not uh, safe enough. It's more levered, yeah. Well, for one thing, they have to do capex and stuff. You don't want yeah. anyone who has to do capex and things like that to be involved in um, doing things like writing uh, insurance because of you want someone who keeps taking in the policy, the premiums, and has the ability to pay out with a significant amount of like a, a liquid portfolio in stocks and things. So mm-hmm. stocks and bonds that yeah. and things that are similar to cash. But the yeah, I mean, if you look at the balance sheet of what Progressive is, like I said, it's a lot of short-term government bonds. It's basically like cash. They're holding huge amounts of stuff that's like cash that they can immediately pay out to people. Uh-huh. Well, that's not what someone like Tesla is doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Progressive does borrow, and not all insurers do that. They do borrow a little bit to leverage their returns more. So they probably leverage up like 1.3 times by doing that. Uh-huh. And what are your, I mean, why do you like the insurance industry, I guess? Uh, well, one, high retention rates, so things don't change that much that way. Two, it's not really, in the long run, it's not really affected by inflation. Uh, same as banks. That way, you can quickly reprice things, so you're not stuck in a situation where you're putting more and more money to a bad use. That way, sure. and if you have smart capital allocators and things like that, it's the best business there is. Uh-huh. I mean, if, if you have someone like Buffett running, it's it a or pretty something, durable business too. It's perfect. I, mean, it's, I think yeah. it, the durability of it is pretty much perfect. I mean, yeah. there are some things like, is it perfect for cars? Maybe not. I mean, eventually, if you have driverless cars for a really long time, then it won't be, um, because the less, the fewer accidents that you have, sure. And the less that each accident results in um, uh, high payouts, um, then the the lower the premiums will be because sure. the premiums are based very much on the risk. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the industry could shrink over time. And I mentioned that in the progressive one. It, it is possible in that case. But for other things, it's not possible. There will always be hurricanes and things like mm-hmm. that. So it, it doesn't change those sorts of things. Yeah. It's interesting. What, did Buffett um, – what, remember, what was it, probably – 2014, I think, maybe it was actually before then, 2012, um, he made a bet where if you completed a perfect bracket yes. for the NCAA mm-hmm. uh, March Madness, he would give you a billion dollars. Yeah. Well, was that all to do, like, was that, like, because I remember it, he did it through, who did he do it through? Like, where you had to, like, sign up, and they had all your information and everything like that. And yeah. obviously nobody knew, nobody won. Right. And, you know, and he knew probably that nobody would win, too, because of the odds of it. Right. Well, there, there's a chance that it would happen, but yeah. Well, some companies want to lay off a risk that has a very big payout. Wasn't possible, that through an insurance company? Low. Like you had to like to actually like enter into the contest. You had to like sign up through. I forget who it was. Oh, but, I don't remember. But I remember that, thinking yeah. like, wow, now they're going to have everybody's information. There. I know that companies that. usually. Usually, I know that like Pepsi did one. Uh, Taco Bell did one. Uh, there have been some others that did certain things that were very big payouts. Yeah, yeah. They almost always ha- use an insurer to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the first company that Berkshire ever bought in the insurance industry, one of the things that they did. Which is was, uh, was um, national, national indemnity. Yeah, yeah. Indemnity, yeah, national indemnity. One of the things that they did is they insured uh, for people who wanted to um, run contests where they would have to pay out a prize. Mm-hmm. So, like, if someone found something, like they would hide something, and if someone would find it, then they pay out a big prize to them. That sort of thing. Um, they actually took the risk, the insurer. Sure. So, so usually when there's some contest or something like that, the the company isn't taking the risk themselves; they're finding someone to insure it. Yeah. 
Interesting. Um, uh, I know that Berkshire it, Berkshire is different than a lot of others that way. Berkshire t- it takes some risks that no one else is willing to mm-hmm. do that way, which is part of what we talked about with the progressive thing. Did he do one with um, the Super Bowl? Yeah, I think he did one that. What if the Super Bowl doesn't happen on the day it's scheduled to happen? Yeah. Like it's can- what if the Super Bowl gets canceled? Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's one of the things I was saying with like progressive. One thing that was pointed out to us is that some t- that uh, with agents and stuff that th- what they liked is that progressive was willing to provide a quote for their worst drivers and stuff, whereas some other companies that are uh, more regional, more local to the area, um, won't even give any quote. Um, so progressive quote might be really high. Yeah. But even if they had someone who was driving a motorcycle and has multiple DUIs and stuff, they would give them, they would quote them and to an agent that was important that they have a chance to sell the policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So if everyone or if anyone listening wants to get access to the singular diligence report that you did, uh, yeah, progressive. that's focuscompounding.com. You go to focuscompounding.com yeah. and you can get a PDF of that if you are a premium member. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us here today. Uh, if you're watching over on YouTube, thumb this video up. That will help give us a little bit of exposure. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Join Jeff's um, weekly gazette. Yes. You go to focuscompoundinggazette.com and there's a place to enter in your email and that will give you a weekly column. In there, uh, there's a, a watch list that we are constantly, um, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, updating and adding new stocks to. So if you want to take a look at the stocks that we are currently interested in, um, and this is all free, by the way, and they're yeah. all overlooked stocks, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com and sign up. And lastly, follow me on Twitter at focuscompound. If you are going to be in New York, we are going to be there the week of September 16th. Uh, reach out to me, info at focuscompound. We'd love to meet up with you. Other than that, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us, and we will see you in the next podcast. Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock write-up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. Thanks for listening.